Amen. Well, this is, um, this is week three of my introduction. <laughs> Praise God. Week three of my introduction. You know, I used to feel bad having these long introductions and all that stuff. But when I have people call me during the week and tell me about the testimonies that happened in their life, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing what God said. Amen. So I appreciate, I appreciate you hanging in there with me. This morning, I did something a little different. Uh, so I encourage you to actually take your phone out this morning. Uh, take your phone out if you like. Put it on camera because I'm going to rapidly go through what I talked about the last two weeks. I put all of my notes into the PowerPoint so that you're going to be able to see them. All you got to do is click the picture and we can keep going because I'm going to go pretty quick because I want to make sure that I get to the end of my introduction, which is week three uh, on today. And so I'm going to talk to you again about moving beyond or, or, or living beyond this, this idea of this mechanics of faith. We talk about faith a lot in this church. My wife and I tell people all the time, we sincerely believe that after you get born again, after you give your life to Christ, the number one thing you should put your effort toward is learning how to live by faith. Because the Bible says that all of the promises of God are what? Received by how? Faith. So if you don't have faith, it's impossible for you to receive the promises of God. Hebrew says it like this. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It says because they that come to him must know that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I truly believe, and I'm going to show you later on today, that we just have a lot of misinformation about what faith is. And I believe that if I can enlighten you uh, in this area, that there will be things in your life that will absolutely change. Now, we're going to be talking about moving beyond the mechanics of faith. And then last week, I got into talking about how we develop a spiritual strategy for success. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. There, is nothing wrong there is nothing wrong with having a strategy. See, a lot of people like to think that religion has to always be about what God said to you at the last minute. It doesn't have to work that way. God is strategic. God is so strategic that when he created the heavens, we are still using the heavens to dictate how we tell time. We're using it to dictate when the seasons are. How do you know when the spring equinox is? It's the same time every year. It happens the same time. They can set your watch by it. Why? Same day. Why? Because we know that what God did was strategic, and because it was strategic, you can count on it. Amen? Amen. And so I want to read something. It's actually not in my notes, and then I'll get back to my notes, but I want to read this, um, this, this scripture. It is Psalms 119, Psalms 119, uh, verse 89 through 96. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. If you've got your phone out or your tablet, whatever, you can pull it up in Google or your Bible app. Because I think this is important because I'm going to go through some things pretty quick, but I really want to get the foundation here. And let me just say this. If you haven't been here the last two weeks and you're a partner here, it is your responsibility to make sure that you are doing what is necessary to go and get the word that you missed. Amen, somebody. We have it on Spotify, it's on the Apple Store, it's in the Google Play Store, there's a couple, the website, there's a couple of other places. Why do I say that? Because if you go, if you take a college class and you have to miss two or three classes, you don't get exempt from the information on the test. Amen, somebody. 
So the same thing is true. When we are teaching something here and you have aligned yourself here, the enemy may come and test you on it. But if you ain't been here and listening to that information, you might not be privy to the test. So I just say to you as an encouragement, that I know people have to be out. I get it. I don't ever sweat people about that. But you, say me, you are still responsible for the word that goes across the pulpit. Amen. When I work in children's church and I miss Pastor Sean teaching, I listen to her during the week. Why? Because I am still responsible for that word. Amen? Psalms 119, uh, verse 89. I'm going to read at the NIV, but you can follow there whatever version you have. We'll end up at the same place. The Bible says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens, and your faithfulness continues through all generations. Say, same God. God. He says, you establish the earth and it endures. Say, strategy. Strategy. He says, your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts for by them, You have preserved my life. Say, God's strategy strategy for the earth earth has preserved preserved my life. life. He says, save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. He says, the wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statues. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, Neighbor. when anything anything comes against you, just look, just look at God's word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, now, to all perfection, I see that there is a limit. But your commands or your decrees or your commandments, they are boundless. One translation says going to the end of time or they are exceedingly broad. Now, why do I bring that up? Because what I want to share with you this morning is the importance of getting a God-given strategy for your life. Tell your neighbor, say, I need a God-given strategy for my life. And the reason you need this God-given strategy for your life is because if you don't have a God-given strategy for your life, you will be subject to whatever you can come up with on your own. And the problem is you haven't seen everything You haven't been everywhere and you don't know everything, but God does. And so God can give you a strategy. And even though that strategy may seem foolish to you, it will literally propel you to a life you never dreamed of because God knows more than you. And if we get to the place where we understand that God knows more than us, then we are more um, diligent about hanging on to his word. Amen. So let's go through and talk about what we reviewed for the last two weeks. Here's where I'm going to go kind of quick. So the last couple of weeks, we started off, and I started off by talking to you about this thing called self-effort, phobia, and this idea that many Christians struggle with it. And what it is is it's this fear that if we don't somehow do enough, if we are not doing enough right things for God, or if our performance isn't stellar enough, then, then the things we are believing for will not come to pass in our life. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor we, can't work we can't work for all, for all that, God that God has already, has already given us. Given 
I mean, you just can't. You can't work for your salvation. So if you can't work for your salvation, why do you think you can work for your rent getting paid? God, God doesn't do like, like human beings. God doesn't give us something small and see how we can handle it. Give us something medium and see how we can handle it. He gave us the biggest thing possible, which was his son, Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you the top-notch thing first, and then that way you know that if I give you this, everything else is going to be taken care of. Then we said, we said that the law of Moses, we have to be careful because the law of Moses locks us into this thing called continual effort. That if we're not careful, we will live our lives trying to do all of these right things and keep all of these right precepts, hoping that somehow that tickles God's fancy so that he will bless us. But that is not how God works. Religion has led us astray in thinking we have to be perfect for God. He sent Jesus to be the perfection. I said on you last week, a lot of times we think God is so good to us. And I, and I, I thought about it as I said it, and I thought about it even on this week, and I still stand by it. It's not that God is so good to us. He's so good to the Jesus in us. Yes. That you and I, when we, when, when we cohabitate and become one with Christ, the goodness is not just on us and our efforts. He's good to us because he sees Christ in us. That's what it means to die and to be one with Christ. And so then last week I gave you four, uh, four points that we were talking about how, why, why self-effort is so bad. Number one. We said that relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. Jesus has already rescued us from the law. Say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Say it again. Say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Say it again. Say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Redeemed people are not in bondage. Redeemed people are not in bondage. Jesus has already paid the price. I used the example about A, B, and C. I won't do all that again. Go back and listen to the tape. But you are C. The, the law was A, Jesus was B, and he paid A so the C could be free. Shout out, I'm free. Number two, we said that the finished works of Jesus, not our perfection, positions us to receive God's blessing. Say, it's God's work, it's God's work. Not, mine, not mine, that makes me good. That's right. None of you are good. I'm not good. We are only good because we are in Christ Jesus, and he makes us righteous. Amen. So all we simply have to do is to have faith in what Jesus has already done. That's what faith really is. Faith isn't what 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 things I can do right. Faith is me believing in what Jesus has already done. Number three, we said that Jesus in giving his body and his blood has removed the curse from us. And there is now no need to work to receive from God. Amen. Amen. There is no need to work. Everything we have has been freely given to us. Everything we have. And if your mind is messing with you about all the things you have to do, I am telling you, you need to get your mind reset. Because if you believe that you can be good enough for God to do something to you, then you got to believe that there are times when you're not good enough and God won't do it for you. And the problem with that thinking is, is that we live in the negative more than we live in the positive. And because we live in the negative more than we live in the positive, you can always think of everything you did wrong. So Jesus came, he gave his body and his blood so that we didn't have to be negative thinkers. Tell your neighbor, say, I am am not not a negative thinker. And then lastly, number four, we said that moving away from grace, this idea that Christ has already done it for us, we said that moving away from grace and toward trusting our own self-efforts 
will always make us look crazy in the end. Do you remember, uh, you, you remember how last week we read about the Galatians and what Paul said to the Galatians? And he basically asked them, he said, what's wrong with y'all? Are y'all crazy? Have y'all forgot about all the wonderful things that Christ did for you? And the problem is, is that anytime we start looking at our own self and determining what God should have done for us, it makes us look crazy. Here's how I know. You ain't got to raise your hand. But if you've ever had a conversation in your elite, even in your mind, that was like, man, I did everything God tell me to and it still didn't work out. Most of us at some point have had a conversation like that in our head. That is because you genuinely think that somehow you doing something moves God. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. The only thing, the only thing that, moves God that moves God is faith. Is faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing in what he's already done. And it seems simple, but it's not because the enemy has taught us this whole thing about self-effort and about the law because he wants to hold us in bondage. And so then last week we got into talking about the importance of developing a spiritual strategy for success. Say, I need a spiritual strategy for success. And so we define strategy as this. We said that it was a systematic arrangement of independent plans working in harmony with each other to accomplish a predetermined objective. That's what God does. God has this systematic arrangement of all these things that to you and I seem very independent. But God has them working together in harmony with each other so that he can accomplish something he already pre-planned before you even knew how to ask for it. Why is that important? Because when God tells you to do something and you're like, I don't even know why this makes sense. It's because you don't see the whole vision. But God already knows all these independent things. When he asks you to pray, when he asks you to forgive, when he asks you to give, when he asks you to be nice to somebody who you really can't stand a whole lot. He already knows how all of these independent things are going to work together to bring about to pass Something he determined before you were born yes. so that when you got 40, it show up right on time. Yes. Yes. Take a neighbor. Say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, we got to stop, we gotta stop. Fighting, God fighting God on all, on all. The, independent things the independent things he asked us to do. Yes. Uh-huh. Because you delay the overall goal when you fight him on the independent things. God didn't have to tell us Everything he wants us to do. We are literally on a need-to-know basis. When you need to know, God tells you what to do. You need to, love, you need to love people. So he told us all, love everybody. But there are some independent things about your life that God didn't reveal to you until he determined that it's time. And once he determines it's time, he reveals it to you, and you got to be spiritually strong enough to understand and know, hey, I don't know why God's asking me to do this, but I do know that it's going to work uh, in harmony with all these other things he asked me to do so that I can live the best life I have. Yeah. So we got we to we embrace strategy. Not strategy that we make up, but strategy that comes from God. Because a strategy is a systematic arrangement of independent plans working in harmony with each other to accomplish this predetermined thing. And then we said last week that God's word teaches us that planning is an important process. A lot of times people like to do things that, that seem more, I guess, spiritual 
than, than natural. But there is nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with having a strategy. When God tells us, here's what he said to, to, to them. He said, he said, write the vision down. He said, and make it plain, right? That's strategy. If God says, write it down, make it plain, it's a strategy. He said, why? He said, so they that run can still see it. In other words, when you got all these other activities going on, you've written a vision down, you got this plan, this, you don't let go of the strategy. Yes. God's word teaches us that planning is an important process of life. And we use the scripture in Luke 14, 28 and 30. We don't have to read it all, but it's the one where he's talking about, uh, he said, what man goes to build a house, digs the foundation, and then realizes he ain't got enough money to finish building the house. He said, everybody who looks at that man is going to laugh at him. You know, you can't say, oh, well, my strategy is uh, I'm going to get out of debt. And then to get out of debt, you go and borrow the money. And you pay off all your credit card bills. You go, whoa, I paid off all my credit card bills, but you still owe the bank. That, that, that's not a God-given strategy. If God gives you a strategy, his strategy is always going to propel you to be in a better place. So we have to be careful not to come up with our own strategies, but to ask God. Take a neighbor and say, there's nothing wrong with asking God. In fact, the message translation of this says it like this. It says, if you only get the foundation laid and then you run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. He said, you're going to look pretty foolish. So if, you, if you're going to start off on an endeavor, it's best to ask God for the strategy so you don't end up looking foolish. Amen. So then we talked about why it's important to follow God's strategy. Why is it important to follow God's strategy? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 in the message. It says this, it says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have faced. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. You will, he'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through. I used, to, I used to hear people quote this all the time, and I was like, well, if God won't put more on us than we can bear, there's always a way of escape. Why don't more people uh, escape? Why do people always end up going down? And the Lord said to me, because they're not using my strategy. See, when God, when, when, he, when he's saying this, when he says there's no test or temptation that's going to come your way beyond the course of what others have faced, he says, you're just like everybody else. Everything that came after everybody else, the same stuff can come after you. He says, but here's the difference. He says, I've already made an escape for you. He says, all you got to do in those times is remember that I will never let you down. So if I'm the one who's never going to let you down, why are you asking your friends for a strategy? Amen. If I'm the one who's never going to fail you, why are you asking your mom and dad for the strategy? Why are you going to the world looking for examples? Why not come to me and ask me what I would do in this situation? Because after all, I'm the one who's seen everything. I'm the one who knows everything. He says, I'm the one who promised not to let you down. So I will use future information that I already know of to get you out of current situations you know nothing of. He says, he'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you right through it. So the importance of, of, of having a God-given strategy is so when things, thing, when things come against you and you have to face them, God is there to deliver you. Amen? And then last week we talked about the four major components of strategy development. Again, this is just a recap. The four major strategies, of, uh, the four major components of strategy development. Number one, we said you got to have a goal, right? 
Number two, uh, we said you got to have a game plan. Number three, we said you got to have a group. And number four, the government. So let's look at the goal real quick. I think they have it up there, the goal. We said there was four reasons why you should embrace having goals. Four reasons why you should go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do in October, November, and December? How do you want me to end this fourth quarter? I know you want me to do something. What would you have me to do? Number one, the reason you should have a goal is because it helps to unearth and identify what's truly important to you. I say this all the time. What gets measured gets results. What gets measured gets results. I said this last week, and we talk about it all the time. People say, oh, you know, I didn't even know I was gaining that much weight. It's true. You don't know. Why? Because you're not measuring it. But if you were stepped on the scale three times a day, you would see that you were gaining weight. The same thing is true when people are losing weight. If you are trying to lose weight, you got to measure your progress. If you're not measuring your progress, you don't know where you are. So, so goals help you to measure your progress. It helps you to unearth and identify what's truly important to you. Number two, it gives you long-term vision and short-term motivation. It gives you long-term vision and short-term motivation. I tell people all the time, this is one of the biggest issues I see in marriages. And I know this ain't a marriage conference, but I see this in marriages all the time. They have no long-term vision and no short-term motivation. They just live in, they just live in day-to-day. They don't have a goal. I told you last week, my wife and I have a goal. At 52, we're going to be kitless. So, so we do things at 47 to prepare ourselves for 52. See, there's some stuff we could buy now, but if we did, our kids want to use it. So we pause on that, and we wait till we get to 52 because we got strategy going. Take your neighbor and say, whatever gets measured, whatever gets, measured gets, results. gets results. The third reason you need a goal is because it focuses your acquisition of knowledge and it helps you to organize your time and your resources so that you can make the most out of both. If you don't have a goal, you don't even know what you're supposed to be studying. Your goal is to be wealthy and you're over here reading Revelation about end time prophecy. How is that going to help you? Nothing wrong with end time prophecy, but is that what your goal is to know more about? If your goal is about wealth, read you some wealth scriptures. If you're focused on healing, you ain't got time to be, to be binge watching Netflix and Hulu. Amen. You, you, got, you, got to, you got to get focused. It helps you to, uh, it helps you to uh, acquire the knowledge that you need, and it helps you to organize your time. Take a neighbor and say, I need, I need to be honest, to be honest. about how, How I, I organize, organize my time. My time. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. A goal will help you organize your time. Yeah. Yes. A goal. People, people say things like that, man, I just don't have, I don't have enough time in the day to get everything done. Not if you're sitting on the couch for 40 <laughs> minutes at a time. If every time you go do a task, you come and sit down for 30 more minutes, you don't have time. But if you got a goal and you got a to-do list or a task sheet or something that you're living by, I guarantee you, you will get a whole lot more done. And then lastly, number four, the reason you want to have a goal, especially if you're a believer, is because we glorify God when we live according to purpose. We glorify God when we live according to purpose. The Bible, the book of Proverbs is 
full of scripture about slothfulness. It's just full of scriptures. One of my favorite scriptures says that if you tend to sleep, you will be poor. It says if you tend to sleep, if you're one of them people, you, listen, you work eight hours, but you're napping three times a day, you're not going to accomplish a whole lot. The pot, the, hmm? oh. uh, <laughs> okay, it, because if you are sleeping your day away, you don't have enough time to do anything else. Goals help you to stay focused, amen? And then the last thing, we, we, so we talked about having these goals. And then we said, once you've got a goal, you've got to have a game plan. Say, I need a game plan. I need a game. What is a game plan? It is a systematic, a systematic scheduling of events based on knowledge. You need a game plan. There is nothing worse than for me as a type A kind of person to hear somebody talk about everything they're going to do and they ain't got nothing planned out. You ain't going to accomplish nothing. And I don't mean to be rude, but you're just not. You're just not. You're, oh, I'm going to do this, and 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 I'm going to do this. How? The Lord going to help me. No, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. There is nothing unspiritual about being strategic. And you got to know that. You got to say, okay, I got to have a goal. Once I got a goal, I got to have my game plan. What's my game plan? How am I going to schedule all of these things God's telling me to do so that they can all work together in harmony to produce what it is that I want to be produced that God's already called into existence before I ever knew it? That's why the game plan is so important. So after you get the goal, you get the game plan, now you got to figure out number three, who's going to be in my group? Who's going to be in my group? Because you were not called to do life alone. But you also weren't called to do life with everybody. So you got to figure out who is the group. What is the group? The group is your key participants. Who's going to participate in the game plan with you? And the reason this is important is because it may be some good people, but may not be the right people for that particular project in your life. See, the biggest downfall for many believers is trying to drag other people to the next level with them. God calls you to the next level. And because you love those people over there, you spend your time pulling them as opposed to going where God told you and then showing them how to get there. The problem is, is that when you pull people, you drain yourself of the very energy you should be using to get yourself to where you need to go. But the enemy has tricked us and made us feel like if we somehow don't pull people, we don't care about people. No, no, no. I'm going because I care. See, I, I, I care about people seeing a, a, a family that, that looks like they're happy. So I work on being happy. Yeah. I don't try to pull everybody who's unhappy along first. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Your, environment your environment is always, always working, on you. working on you. It is always working on you, and you are never stronger than your environment. You are never stronger than your environment. So if you got problems and you hanging around with other people who got problems, your problems ain't going to get better. You got to find somebody who can, can, who can, who can you got to find an environment that will change you. And then once you get changed, you can help them change. Amen. So somebody say the goal. The goal. And then say the, say the game plan. The game plan. 
Now say the group. So the fourth thing you got to have is you got to have the government. What is the government? The government is so important because what is going to be the management process of staying the course with your goals? What's going to be the management course for the game plan? And how are you going to evaluate whether or not the group needs to remove some participants, add new participants, or update the skills of existing participants? That's why you've got to have this, this, this government, this management process. If you're going to have a spiritual strategy, you cannot skip this process because somebody may be good for you the first six months, but that may not be the person you need on your team the next six months. And it doesn't make them bad or you bad. It doesn't make them bad and it doesn't make you bad. But you've got to be asking yourself, God, who do you want on my team? I constantly ask God that. I said, God, here are the things that you said we need to do in this ministry. Who are the people that we have that can do it? If he don't say that, I say, who are the people you can send who can do it? Because God has an answer to our problems. Amen? And then last week we finished up, we started talking about how we keep the law. Uh, if we keep the law and we operate in self-effort, then it never works in the kingdom. Keeping the law and operating in self-effort never works in the kingdom. Why? Here's the reason why. I want you to see this. And I don't know if they can pull this one up, but if they can, I want to ask you to do it. Galatians 2, 15 and 16, out of the message translation. You can take a picture of that. You can come back and read it later. But I want to read this to you. Galatians chapter 2. Because, and the reason I want to read this is because, remember, if we try to keep the law, we put ourselves right back into doing what the Jews used to try to do. And the Jews figured out it didn't work, and they stopped doing it. So why should we do it? Notice what he says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. He says, we Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. He says, how do we know we tried it? And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being could please God by self-improvement, we just believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. The reason I share that is because I'm telling you, I talk to people all the time, face-to-face, -face, via social media, text message, whatever it is, and anytime I'm talking to people, they are talking about the things that they are trying to do to be right. You can't be right. You have to be made right. And, you, and, and, and literally what they're saying is, they said we had the best system of rules. The Church of God in Christ had some good rules. The Baptist Church got good rules. The CMA Church got good rules. The Catholic Church got good rules. They all got good rules, but keeping them don't make you right. And the sad part is, is that no matter how good you are, you can't keep them all. And the Bible says that if you break one law, you might as well have broken them all. Say, so, well, Pastor, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have sex. Yeah, but you gossip a whole lot. So you might as well partake in the other ones. 
if, if that's how you're going to define your goodness. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. The reason Jesus came was so we didn't have to have competitions about who wasn't doing what sin. Because at the end of the day, everybody has fallen short. All of us ought to just be looking to God saying, God, thank you for Jesus. Amen. Shout, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Mm -hmm. That's the reason you qualify for everything God wants to do for you. Yeah. Not because you are so good. Not because you have kept half the law. Not because you kept three-fourths of it. Not because you didn't do what your neighbor did. It's only because of Jesus. Unfortunately, religion has passed down to the next generation so much misinformation about God and how God operates that it actually hinders our ability to live in harmony with God's plan. Because we spend all of our time telling God why we don't qualify. Oh, it's not me. Yeah, you do. Now, you may not say it out loud, but when you're looking at yourself saying, oh, well, you know, I didn't expect God to do that because I didn't do this or I didn't do that. What you're saying is I don't qualify because I determine how good I am and whether God should do this for me. And that kind of misinformation has been taught across pulpits and in churches, and it tells people all kinds of things. Listen, God is big enough to bless who he wants. And the reason church people get so offended when they see people who don't believe like we believe seem to be prospering and doing well is because we think somehow they shouldn't because they ain't doing what we did. Oh, well, you know, I don't see why I always work out for them. They don't even, they don't even go to church. Going to church is nice, but that, God didn't say that was a condition of you being blessed. He actually said, forsake not the assembling of your, Paul said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because he knew it would get you to a place of just trusting God. Because iron sharpens iron, amen? I don't know about anybody else's church, but that's not going to be our story here at FOC. Amen. We are not going to be a church who is so focused on what people do and don't do, trying to qualify or disqualify them for what God has. What we're going to learn to do is to just believe God. We're going to learn to live beyond the mechanics of faith and see the manifestation of all that God has planned for us. Amen? Amen. How are we going to do that? Well, here's the last part of this introduction. The way to do that is understanding the tragedy that comes with misinformation. The tragedy of spiritual misinformation is devastating, and we got to stop sharing that misinformation with other people. you got to stop telling people that they got to stop sinning in order for God to bless them. See, nobody want to hear that. But you know God bless you when you were a sinner, right? Yeah, you remember they got to shoot in the club and you didn't get shot? That was a blessing. Uh-huh. Yeah, remember, remember, remember when y'all was together and they smoked that weed? They went crazy and you didn't? Uh-huh. That was a blessing. Oh, remember when you said, Lord, just don't let her be pregnant this time, and she wasn't? That was a blessing. See, you always think that a blessing has to be some spiritual. God's been delivering you, even you, when you were in the midst of your sin. That woke y'all up, didn't it? Because everybody done either almost bent. Well, let me start. <laughs> we done all prayed that prayer. And so we have to stop sharing this misinformation. And the information we need to share is the information that no matter what state you are in, God loves you and he's waiting to bless you. 
Because if we teach people to fall in love with God, they'll stop doing all the other stuff because the love for the person they're in love with will say, hey, I don't want to do that to them. Second Timothy 3, 14 through 17 out of the message says this. It says, but don't let it phase you. Stick with what you have learned and believe. Sure, of the integrity of your teachers. He says, why? You took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Every part of scripture is God breathed and it is useful one way or another. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped for the task God has for us. He says, just trust and believe God. You ain't got to get good enough for God. God is already big enough to make you good. He's already big enough to make you good. You come to him, he makes you righteous. He qualifies you. So let's get back real quick to this idea of spiritual planning. A lack of understanding will always cause you to live below your spiritual privileges. A lack of spiritual understanding or a lack of understanding will cause you to live below your spiritual privileges. There are things that are available to you that you can't access because you don't have the understanding yet. In the same way that a child has access to certain things of the parents, but they can't access them yet because they don't know how to deal with them. You know, my, my, my two youngest girls don't have their driver's license yet. So they can't drive my car. Not just because it's, it's, it's illegal for them to do so, but they can't do it because if I allow them to do it, they could injure themselves and somebody else. There are some things God hadn't unlocked for you yet because if he gave them to you, you'd injure yourself or someone else. So what he's waiting on is for you to mature to this thing where you don't think that you have to have self-effort to get what he gave you. Therefore, biblical presentation of spiritual order is critical when it comes to planning. Biblical presentation of spiritual order is crucial when it comes to planning. Matthew verse 22 and 29 says this. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, watch this, you do Air, not knowing the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. He says you make a mistake two ways. Number one, you don't know the word. Number two, you don't know how powerful God is. He said if you knew the scriptures and what they said about me and all you have to do to access me and if you knew the power that I had, you would never make a mistake. You would never err. Why? Because you would know me and know what I'm capable of. It's also what the Bible says in Hosea 4 and 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why are they destroyed? Not because I'm withholding knowledge, but because they don't spend time seeking it. That's why you have to ask God for a strategy. Understanding how God operates is vital to effective strategy development. It's, it's, it's effective if you're going to develop a strategy from God that you can actually walk out in your life. God says, in, the Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 6 through 14, I'm not going to read all that, but what it talks about is it talks about how God makes everything right in our life. God makes everything right. So even if I make a mistake, God will build a path back to rightness. Some of y'all should hear that. 
Even if I make a mistake, if I am following God's strategy, he will make a path back to rightness. Because God makes everything work out in my behalf when I am following his strategy. I was trying to explain that to you guys last week when I was talking about uh, Abraham. And a lot of people can't understand the fact why God blessed Abraham when Abraham clearly lied about Sarah. He said, hey, look, this ain't my wife, this is my sister. And even though it really was his half-sister, it was still his wife. I told y'all last week, it, it reads different in the hood version of the Bible. Now, when you read it, it's kind of, you know, plain. But in the hood version, it basically says Abraham was like, you know, my wife fine. And I don't want nobody trying to push up on her and try to kill me in the process. He says, so babe, when we go over here in this new land, I need you to get with the program and tell them you my sis, all right? She said, sure, babe, whatever you need. They went over there and they did that. And the man, they looked at it and she was fine. And the Bible says they tried to take her. And they found out that that was Abraham's wife. And it came to Abraham and said, why would you do this to us? We could have slept with her. You would have caused a whole plague to come on us. They said, get your girl and go. And the Bible says that even though he told a lie, he left richer than when he came. And for years, that messed me up. I was like, how are you going to lie and get blessed? I mean, if that's all it takes. <laughs> I mean, if lying is what we got to do. God says, no, I blessed Abraham because even in his wrongdoing, he was following me. See, some of you, you're afraid to do anything because you think you're going to mess up. So you get, you get paralyzed and not do anything. But God says, just follow me. And even if you make a mistake, I'll bring you back to rightness. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, I am on my path, on my path. to rightness in spite of any mistakes. So, so how do we live there? We live there by continually being open to learn more about the new birth experience. I'm going to stop here, but I'm going to talk about this next week. Understanding the new birth opens us up to a lot of spiritual understanding. I don't know if it's in my notes for this week, but let me see if there's. Uh, yeah, let me, let, me, let me just show you this before we close. You might have to click like four or five slides. Just keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. Just go, 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 go. Right there. Go back. Go back. One more. Go back. Right there. Here, I'm, we are going to spend the next couple of weeks on these next three points. I'm going to give them to you today, but we're going to spend the next several weeks here. This is going to open your eyes if you will allow it to. We've said this before here at this church. In order to walk in any truth, you need four things, right? Number one, you've got to have a revelation, okay? A revelation is simply an illumination, something that opens your eyes to something you hadn't seen before. Have you ever had somebody explain something to you, and when they explained it to you, you was like, oh, yeah, and now it's almost like you couldn't believe at one point you never knew you didn't know how to do that? Yeah. That's what revelation is. Yeah. So if you're going to walk in any truth, you've got to have revelation. Number two, you've got to have a role model. You need somebody either in person or a character or somebody who has done what you're trying to do. So you've got to have a revelation, you've got to have a role model, and then you need uh, a, a regiment of faith. You need a systematic way to do the things that you have learned. And then number four, you need a righteous resolve. You need a determination that you're not going to give up in the middle of the process that you're going to see it through. Amen. 
And so the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about as a new creature, here's what the new birth experience really does for us. It is not just to get us to heaven. If salvation is just for heaven, you should get saved and die. The new birth experience is for you to live a new life, not to die. So the next three things. As a new creature, we are able to do business in both arenas, the natural and the spiritual. We're going to look at some examples of this in the next couple of weeks. We're going to, I'm going to show you through the word that you, there is more in you than you know. You would literally, as a born-again believer, have the ability to tap into two distinct realms simultaneously. You have the ability to go to one realm and bring into a natural realm what you need. The second thing we're going to talk about is that you are able to see beyond the natural realm. You are able to not only access, but you are able to see beyond the natural realm. Seeing beyond the, beyond the natural realm gives you an idea of what's possible. Come on. In the natural, all you see is broke. All you see is sick. All you see is depressed. All you see is loneliness. All you see is sadness. But in the other realm, there's some stuff that don't look like that. And I'm going to show you that this new birth experience allows you to see into those realms. And it was not just reserved for Jesus. And then number three, the new birth experience allows us to be able to live independent of the statistics that govern this natural realm. I know the statistics say right now that black women make the least amount of money to every other demographic there is. But that ain't got to be you. That ain't got to be your. Yes. That don't have to be statistics for this house yes. for black women. Yes. Come on. You, I, I know they say that black males are in danger of not reaching their 21st birthday because of all the things that happen with police and everything else. But that ain't got to be true for our boys. Yes. Because we can live independently of the statistics that they use to govern this realm. That's why we don't speak in agreement with those statistics. It's why we don't buy into that stuff. It's why we don't buy into ain't no jobs. It's plenty of jobs. We picking jobs at FOC. We picking jobs. Why? Because the new birth experience unlocks us from being bound to this. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with that. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That all things have passed away and behold, all things become new. And I believe it's going to be some newness happening in FOC. Hallelujah! It's going to be some new things going on, some new things happening, new mind shapes being formed. Because we are born again and I'm tired of us not living in accordance with all that has been given to us. Do you know if we were all Waltons, we would never fly commercial? Now, we, if, we were, if we were Walton children, we wouldn't be flying commercial. Why? Because that's, that, that's, that, is, that is below what is available to them. So then likewise, we are children of the Most High God. And there are some things that we're going to stop living beneath. Amen? And so I encourage you that if you haven't heard the first two, 
uh, messages, that you go and you go to the website, you listen to them, you get, even if you have heard them, listen to them again, listen to today's teaching and come back ready the next couple of weeks. We're going to dig into these three points. We're going to really dig into it. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to look at examples. We may have some testimonies because I'm telling you, when, 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 your, when your cup is full, it begins to overflow. And it's time for some overflow in FOC. Amen. They sung about it this morning. It's, it's time for some overflow. Pastor Sean said it in, in, her, in her confessions. It's time for us to start living in the things God has already made available. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. Stand to your feet for just a minute. We're going to make this confession. I'm going to get out your way. It's raining hard. Y'all ain't that ready to go? You know, I, I try not to get aggravated by the rain, especially on Sundays. I just remember whenever it rains like that, it's a reminder that all of our seeds are being watered. Yes, Tell you never say it's all about perspective. It is how you see it. We can see the rain as a negative. We can see the rain as a positive. We can see our lives as negative. We can see our lives as positive. I'm choosing at this season in my life to look at things in a positive light. I spent a lot of my life being a glass half empty kind of guy. But here's what I know. When it comes to God, the cup could be empty and he'll fill it just like that. So we're going to make this confession this morning and I'm going to get out of your way. Pastor, are you going to come out to we get through? Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Say, I thank you. I thank you. That, right now, that right now, you are transforming my mind. You are, transforming my mind. You are helping me, are helping me to, understand to understand and realize, realize that self-effort, self-effort is, not is not the best way. The best way. Say, Father God, Father God, right now, right now I, release I release the control factor that I have to do things to try and please you. I declare that right now I am moving from being a pleaser to being a believer. I trust and believe that what you have said about me is 100% true. And therefore, I am Made righteous by your blood. And therefore, I qualify 100% right now for every blessing you provided for me. Come on and give the Lord some praise. Come on. I want you to move out of that self-effort identity. Move out of that idea that you got to be perfect. You, you do not have to be perfect. Somebody said, well, that mean I can just go out there and live ratchet? You could, but I guarantee you if you fall in love with Jesus, it's difficult to do. Amen. So don't focus on what you're doing or not doing. Focus on how good God is to you. It'll change everything about your life. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise this morning.